Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. That's right, yet another Marvel special effects CGI extravaganza. Yes, it is. Yes, yep. it is. Yep. Yes, it is. This one I actually was looking forward to a little bit by the time we got to the day of going to see it because I actually liked the first two Guardians films quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I think James Gunn did a really good job with just about everything he's put his hands on so far, whether it be comic book related or not. So I felt at least there was something to look forward to that maybe he could transcend the, I don't know, the cesspool of Marvel CGI the, the alphabet soup that is Marvel CGI slugfests. I was looking forward to this, but I'm not hating on Marvel MCU stuff like you are. But I really enjoyed the first two movies. I think the first one is one of my favorite MCU movies. And the second one is up there also. I, I love these characters. I think James Gunn has told us some interesting stories. He has made it so that we love this talking tree and talking raccoon, and he's done a really good job with his storytelling, and I was very excited to see this new movie. Yeah, well, just for a point of clarification, I'm not hating on Marvel. <laughs> I'm hating actually on Disney is what I'm hating on, because I feel like... They have just homogenized this to the point where it is basically the same thing over and over and over again. And it just gets exhausting. I am a comic book fan. I can't say this enough. I love comics. You sit in front of a closet that is literally full of my comics. Mm -hmm. I've been reading comics for a long time, including presently reading comics. And the MCU just seems to be... This homogenized, everything is the same, the story is the same, there's always going to be the next bad guy. There's no, like, depth to it, really, for the most part. Some stuff has some depth nowadays. But generally speaking, there's nothing beyond the surface flash. And I feel like we're in this period of Marvel Cinematic Universe where we are right now in the Image Comics wave of the history of the MCU. We're at this point where everything looks really cool, but the stories are lacking. Mm -hmm. So that's where I stand on it. It's not that I hate the MCU. I, I just feel like that they're doing it a disservice. I hope they turn it around before they introduce the X-Men because the X-Men are some of the most deep and meaningful characters that have been created at Marvel. Hulk was too, and look what they did to him. Yeah. He's just a joke. I hope they can find other writers and directors like James Gunn. Yeah. I feel like Disney kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit when they fired James Gunn. I know there was a reason behind it. Right. But in that interim before they hired him back, DC swooped in and are like, hey, come over here. We'll take you. Mm -hmm. And so now where I believe 
my understanding is James Gunn was supposed to help with these further phases Mm -hmm. in the MC universe. Yeah. But not anymore. No. He's now over in DC and he's going to be puppeteering over there. Yeah. The storylines over there, which is very exciting for DC. I'm very excited to see what he's going to do in DC because I think, like I said before, I think he's a good storyteller. Yeah, absolutely. I think with him running the show, we have a better shot at getting some really, really good DC content. I'm excited to see what he's going to do. I am too. But I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I'm still enjoying these movies, and I'm I'm not trying to say you hate these because you still watch them and mm-hmm. you still get some enjoyment out of them. It's just you tend to be harsher of a critic on them just because I think you are a comic fan and you are expecting them to tell you stories that are as engaging as what you're finding when you're reading the comics too. Yeah, and that's absolutely. Okay, and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely okay. I am. I'm not expecting everything to be exactly the same as it was in the comics. I have no problem with new versions or different versions mm-hmm. of things. I, like I said, I'm a comic book fan. That's what they do. You just wanted a compelling story. I want a compelling story and I haven't gotten one. I mean, the last, what, four, five movies that we've watched has been the same regurgitated shit over and over and over With like again. little bits and pieces out of each of the movies that are kind yeah. of, okay, this there's, part's good, this Yeah, part's there's good. little yeah. bits that are good, but mm-hmm. overall forgettable. Like I barely remember what happened in Quantumania. Hmm. barely remember what happened in Quantumania. I couldn't remember. It took me a little bit. I had to sit and think, how did they defeat Kang in Quantumania? Yeah. It doesn't stick with you. Whereas I can tell you how they fixed the Hulk in issue two seven or 377 of The Incredible Hulk back in 1989, 1988, 89 time frame. They were talking about 30 years ago, I can remember that story because it was compelling. It mattered, you know? I don't know. I'm just looking for that. I want a renaissance of these movies so that the stories are as compelling as the CGI effects are. Mm -hmm. That's all I want. Yeah. I think as a Marvel fan, as a lifelong Marvel fan, I don't think that's too much to ask. So, anyway. So... As far as experience with Guardians of the Galaxy, we both mentioned we've seen the volume one and volume mm-hmm. two. Yeah. There is a Christmas special out there. Did you see that? I watched that today in preparation for this because at the beginning of this movie, there's some confusion. If you haven't watched the Christmas special, the Christmas special will catch you up, but it's going to clarify two things. Correct. It's it's just a couple things that carry through to here right ultimately it doesn't it it's it's irrelevant right yeah it's a money grab by Di- by disney yeah it, it is it is it's a cute little thing it's nothing it it's it, a neat little homage to like the star wars christmas special or the star wars holiday special you know mm-hmm. but overall there's some funny stuff in it i yeah, mean god they is. kidnapped kevin bacon I love the Kevin and Bacon stuff. That was pretty funny. <laughs> There's a line that Nebula has to say, or that Nebula says when she has to go and get Kevin Bacon. She's like, you're not going to get away from me, Bacon. And I just, <laughs> I loved it. I loved the delivery. I thought it was great. But overall, I mean, just sound and fury. Nobody, it's not going to matter in three years. Nobody's going to care. Yeah. You know? So I, we've seen that. Mm-hmm. As far as the comics, mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this before, but just real briefly, I, I'm not a big comic book reader. Mm-hmm. I, it's just not something I've gotten into. Yeah. Not that I'm opposed to it. It's just 
there's so much out there. Right. And yeah. it's it's a daunting task to try and get into when there's so much other stuff going on <laughs> oh, in my life to yeah. try and Absolutely. Uh, dive into something like that. But for you mm-hmm. now, do you have experience with the comics? The audience? comics that I have experience with are Rocket Raccoon oriented comics or Hulk oriented comics that had Rocket Raccoon in them. Okay. There was a period in the 70s, I want to say, when Hulk was in space for various reasons. Because reasons, because, you know, it's the 70s and why the hell not? They were all on mushrooms anyway. But they, he runs across Rocket Raccoon. We get this whole story with with him and mm, Blackjack somebody that like is like his rival or something like that. And then later there was a Rocket Raccoon miniseries by the guy that wrote the original, that wrote... His first appearance back in Marvel Spotlight, which was a like an anthology comic that ran. But the Rocket Raccoon miniseries circa 1980, somewhere between 83 and 85, I want to say. they That one, you get to go back to Half-World, which is where he's originally from. Rocket is not, he's not a raccoon in the comics. Mm. His name comes from the Beatles song Rocky Raccoon. Uh. And in fact, there's several references to the song in, I think it's in the miniseries, but it might be in Incredible Hulk 271, which is, I think, where he first appears. But uh, but yeah, like he is not a raccoon. He's a genetic mutation that was, that was created on Half-World, along with a whole bunch of other people. And uh, Lila, the, uh, the otter that we're going to meet in this movie, she's there too. She's in that series too. But she is like the inheritor of like a toy company a toy company there were these toy wars that they had and like her uncle was wal russ who actually is teeths i think because wal russ had like he's got like tusks that you can like interchange Mm -hmm. he can like make weapons out of them and shit it kind of cool but i think he was also in a wheelchair if i'm not mistaken and teeths had a wheelchair in this movie so i think that was probably a, a a reference to that as far as the guardians themselves the Guardians that I grew up with were not these people. So the Guardians that I grew up with didn't have Rocket Raccoon. They didn't have Peter Quill or Gamora or Drax or Groot. Mm-hmm. We had we had Yondu, but he doesn't look like our Yondu in the comics. They had Starhawk. We had a guy named Charlie 27. I mean, there was, there was a whole bunch of... And it got, like, shit got really weird in that series, Nick, my brother, read this series, and I read some of it, and it was really friggin' out there, like way, way out there. Hmm. Nothing like, like reading it now. If you read that, it would hew closer to like the classic 1960s Guardians of the Galaxy's comics than it would this modern team that you're familiar with. Yeah, yeah. Yep. fair enough. Yeah. So that's that's my experience with them. I and, and I did read now to be fair, I did read some comics that were based on this team. They took this team and they put them into comics shortly before the original Guardians movie came out and it was it was relaunched by Brian Michael Bendis, who was a writer that I was heavily into in the mid 2000 or mid mid 2010s. And he you know, he nailed it. He did a great job with them. Rocket was a complete badass in the comics compared to what he was in the original comics that I read him in, which was kind of fucking goofy, to be honest with you. And so by the time they had announced Guardians of the Galaxy, the original movie, I thought to myself, 
the goofy raccoon is never going to work. This could be the point that kills the MCU, but they based it on Bendis's stuff, which was a whole lot more edgy than the mm-hmm. goofy let's have toy wars <laughs> rocket right. raccoon, right. you know? Yeah. So anyway, long-winded. I have read some of them, not many of them. Most of the ones that I have read are not the same team and not even similar storylines at all. Yeah. So do you want to tell everybody who is involved in this picture? Give them a casting crew, Jen, if you please. I would love to. So we already talked about the writer and director. That is James Gunn. He wrote and directed all three of these. I Did he have any help on the writing or is he do this by himself? He is the only one listed. Soul Rata. Okay. All right. This movie stars Bradley Cooper as the voice of Rocket Raccoon. Oh, Chris, top billing, huh? Uh, well. Kind of? I feel, I put him at the top because this is Rocket's story. It was his story all along. It was his story all along. So I put him at the top. Okay. Chris Pratt as Peter Quill or Star-Lord. Mm-hmm. Zoe Saldana as Gamora. Karen Gillan as Nebula. Dave Bautista as Drax. Palm Clementif as Mantis. Vin Diesel as the voice of Groot. I wanted to add in here, Austin Freeman is the onset Groot and Sean Gunn. He plays Craiglin and the onset Rocket for the motion Oh, yeah. Cap Sean stuff. Gunn's been doing mocap for that for a while mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I think since the beginning. Mm-hmm. We have Chakuri Iwoji as the high evolutionary. And we have Will Poulter as Adam Warlock. Lots of other people, but that's the main group. Now, I feel like... Some of these characters have gotten some nice rounded arcs from the first movie down to where we are now. And the, the one I want to sure. point out is Nebula. Man, she's had this arc of just being this horrible bad person into now she's taking care of children and <laughs> going to rule this or, you know, take care of the city. Yeah. Now that's, that's a classic Marvel thing to do. You take the bad guy, make him a good guy. They did it with Magneto. They did it with Rogue. They did it with all kinds of people. They did it with John Walker, the U S agent. They made him when he was originally Captain America mm-hmm. after Steve Rogers was kicked out and he was, he turned out to be like a psychopath. They rehabilitated him, and now he's another. He's another Avenger. His name is U.S. Agent, is John Walker. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's still not a great guy, but take a villain, turn him into a good guy. It's a Marvel thing to do. There are yeah. multiple sides to many stories. Venom, they did the same thing with him. So, yeah, it's a it's a very typically Marvel thing to do, and I welcome it. it it's a trope that I really enjoy because it's a multi. People are multifaceted. There's mm-hmm. like you're not a bad guy. You, to yourself, you know what I mean? Like, to you, you're not the bad guy. Yeah. Magneto doesn't think he's doing anything wrong by murdering humans that are trying to eliminate mutants mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, I'm in the complete right to do this. Right. He has his own convictions. What, Whatever we judge him as, he has his own convictions. He's never, they're never the villains of their own story. And Drax even says in this movie that everyone deserves a second chance. He does, doesn't he? He, he does says say that, that to Adam Warlock. Yeah. Yep. Warlock, wasn't he played by somebody else? Wasn't didn't Harry Styles play him at the end of a movie at one point? No, this is our first this is our first no way. With Adam Warlock. No way. Who was Harry Styles supposed to be when he showed up at the end of I wanna say Guardians Two or maybe maybe Infinity War? No, it wasn't Infinity War. It didn't have any uh, He is it was in Eternals. 
He's Eros. Eros, that's right. Oh yeah, yeah. He plays. He play, Oh, that's right. He plays. Whose brother is that? Thanos's brother. Eros is Thanos's yeah. brother. Correct. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Now, for some reason, I was thinking he was. He was originally. Adam Warlock. Oh no. Okay. Well, I'm glad that they got Will Poulter to do it because I think this guy does a great job. I think so too. I think he's. I think he's decent. In the role. So. I agree. All right. We ready to talk about this story? I mean, as ready as we're going to be, I guess. So let's let's give it a go. At the beginning of the movie, the Guardians are hard at work making their new headquarters a suitable home for their growing ranks. So ever since their tussle with Thanos during Endgame, several Ravagers like Kraglin have joined the crew, as well as Cosmo, the Soviet space dog, and their former adversary, Nebula, the aforementioned Nebula. The new headquarters is nowhere. Not like literally nowhere, but the actual the floating head of a celestial nowhere. Yeah. Skull. Yes. <laughs> they bought it from the collector, which I thought the collector was dead, but then I remembered he's at the he's in an end credit scene. He's in an end oh, yeah, credit scene that's later right. That's right. playing cards with... Not play, was he playing cards with Howard the Duck? Or were they just drinking? Or they were drinking or something. Yeah. It was like in his wrecked area or whatever. Yeah. But he survived that encounter with Thanos. So he is still alive. Because at first, my first note was, how the hell did they get this from the collector? <laughs> because I, now this is not something that you would, you'll learn in this movie, guys. This is something that you are going to learn by watching the holiday special. Right. This is one of two things yep. that you learn that are germane to this film. And honestly, without watching the, the holiday special, it's not going to matter. They kind of explain it. Yeah, I was going to say, and honestly, I don't know if it matters a whole lot anyways. I mean, they right. could have just gone in and taken over, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, Peter Quill is still mourning the loss of his timeline's Gamora. He's drowning his pains in alcohol. Meanwhile, Rocket is feeling melancholy while he's remembering his past as a science experiment for a geneticist named the High Evolutionary, who made him from a mere raccoon into the hard-boiled space pirate that we know and love today through genetic manipulation. I'm just going to say right now mm -hmm. that all of these scenes with the lab and the experimenting and the animals, I know they're CGI, but my gosh, that was really sad and yeah, it definitely. was hard to watch. And yeah. They did an amazing job with this villain. Right. We don't know this villain. This isn't a Thanos that we've had movie after movie after movie. This is the first time we've had this guy. And you dislike him right from the get-go because oh, yeah. of what he's doing. Right. Well, now, the thing about High Evolutionary is he doesn't have the buildup that we had with Thanos. I don't I mean, think Thanos he needs had... it. I think they do. No, he doesn't need it. I think they do a good enough storytelling here that yes. we don't need it. I mean, they do such a good job that we hate, we despise this guy and we want him to be defeated and it matters. Right. By the end of this movie, it matters to us. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think the thing is that this guy might come from kind of out of nowhere to people. Not not nowhere the place, but mm -hmm. nowhere like the, the concept. But 
the high evolutionary has a very rich history in the comics. So it's the genetic modifications that cause the high evolutionary to want to track Rocket down on nowhere. And he does so with the help of the recently birthed Adam Warlock, who is another one of the evolutionary's experiments. He was created by Aisha, the high priestess of the sovereign, which was created in turn by the high evolutionary. See, the evolutionary just travels around this, this universe, apparently, creating species and then destroying them if he doesn't like what, what, have, what they've done. But he created the sovereign to be beautiful dummies, right? Which doesn't bode well for Adam Warlock. The comic book version of Adam Warlock is not a dummy. He's actually highly intelligent. One little thing I wanted to mention is that little diamond that's on his forehead, mm -hmm. that's the soul gem. It's supposed to be the soul gem in the right. comics. It's right. not in this, obviously, it's not for in this obvious because reasons. Because they used it with vision, vision already. Yeah. Yep. But if we do see Adam Warlock again, it's possible they make him more Adam Warlock matching to the comics because mm -hmm. they do tell us that they took him out too early. Yeah. So he's he's still too young. He hasn't baked long enough. Yeah. The the thing about that is that Warlock eventually in the comics becomes the guardian of the Infinity Stones. Mm. The Infinity Gems, mm -hmm. to basically keep Thanos away from them. There's a whole series called Warlock and the Infinity Watch. It happens after the Infinity Gauntlet, which was the original miniseries in the comics. And they're, they're banded together to basically keep Thanos away from them. Or keep them out of the hands of the wrong people, I right. guess. But that's uh, not the story we're telling. So that we is not the story. a different Adam Warlock. <laughs> it's, it's a different Adam Warlock. But what I was going, where I was going to go with that was that maybe at some point he could become like that right. that character you right. know yeah yeah so at the beginning of this movie we open with the marvel credits but they now have changed them all to guardians of the galaxy mm -hmm. uh, pictures sure so that was kind of neat they are playing creep in the beginning of this rocket yeah like a weird shitty version of creep i th i liked it i thought it was good rocket's listening to this they're all listening to it yeah. It's being broadcast throughout it nowhere. It is. He's he's the one that's kind of picking their tunes or whatever, but mm -hmm. uh, kind of sets an interesting mood to the beginning of this. I mean, it's a song about over-sexualizing a woman that doesn't respond to you. So what does that have to do with Rocket? I'm sure we can have an interpretation. It's not like there's got to be a solid reasoning for it. Look mm -hmm. at, look at, what's that? What's the, what's the Green Day song? The Hope You Had the Time of Your Life one, mm -hmm. right? I can't remember the name of the song, but that song is about Billy Joe Armstrong's girlfriend leaving him. It's a breakup song, but high school kids took it to mean, hey, we're moving on to something bigger and better now. You know, you know, it's called Good Riddance. You can, you can interpret anything you want out of a song, you know, out of lyrics, out of words. That's the beauty of art. But to me, that's how that song is played. Oh. And in fact, even the artist, even the original band, Radiohead, is like, mm -hmm. I don't like to play this song anymore because it feels misogynistic. It feels like yeah. I am, like, begging a woman to take note of me and, and turning her away, you know, like, acting yeah. this way if, if she's not going to respond, you know? Yeah. I... I guess I was taking this in this movie in this moment as Rocket and maybe some of these other characters having some self-loathing. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of 
tying into some of that. I guess that's how I was kind of looking you... at it. We also have Quill, who's turned into an alcoholic, it yeah. looks like. He's very upset over his loss of Gamora. That probably put him over the edge of, you know, his being able to cope with things. Mm-hmm. We have an interesting interaction with him and Nebula. Apparently Nebula is taking care of him mm-hmm. when this happens. And, you know, of course he grabs her and says, I love you, Gamora. Right. Which she's got, I mean, she's mourning Gamora too, you know? I mean, she she got close with her sister and then lost her sister, you yeah. know? And now the sister that's there, Gamora that's there, is is not the same one. You know, she she really lost her sister too. I don't know. I, I it's just kind of a the start of this movie has a tone to it that's it's kind of sad and down mm-hmm. and it kind of sets the tone for the whole movie while we have some really great spots. There's a lot of dark stuff happening in this movie. Oh yeah. And it it kind of we just kick off that way too. Right, so. but we don't have a lot of time to dwell on any of this stuff. No. There's no time to actually no, dig we into go right any into of the this. action. Because as this stuff is all happening, as she's like carrying Quill out of the bar, Adam Warlock attacks. He was hired by the High Evolutionary, not hired, but told by the High Evolutionary to find Rocket and bring him back to him, to the High Evolutionary, not the, you know what I mean. So there's this big tussle. Rocket gets mortally wounded. They fight off Adam Warlock, and then they're trying to save Rocket, but they can't do it because when they use their med packs, which are electrical, on him, his modifications won't allow it to happen, his genetic modifications. So when they hook him up, they find out that there's a kill switch that is there to protect the proprietary property of the High Evolutionary, who's his creator. Now, this fight with Adam Warlock yeah. and the Guardians was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get a decapitated Groot here yeah. who turns into the creature from the thing. Yeah. On there. Nobody which, turns around and goes, you got to be fucking kidding me. That though. was so. that was creepy, but all right. I suppose that's going to happen. His so what, head's what? still intact. Okay, but here's my question. What happened to Groot that all of a sudden he can recover from like catastrophic damage like that? I don't know. Like in the first one, he'd get an arm chopped off or something and he could grow that back. Right. But a catastrophic damage like getting your head cut off maybe is a little different than getting your arm cut off. I thought so too, but I mean, he survived that. I went into this movie with the anticipation that we were going to lose at least one of our guardians. Oh, and they tease every single one of them. Knowing that this is it. Mm-hmm. For this group of guardians. Mm-hmm. And knowing that Dave Bautista has very vocally said, I am not going to do Drax again. I'm just uh-huh. not doing it. Until he can't find any other jobs. I because was... I saw him in Knock at the Cabin, and so did you. And yeah. he's not there. He's yeah. not there. I went in anticipating that we were going to lose Drax. Mm-hmm. And possibly one other. I wasn't really sure which one, but I, I figured we'd lose Drax. So, of course, at the very beginning when Drax gets the shit beat out of him, I thought for sure he was going to go oh, here. Oh, they and do then, that with him later, and then too. there was another spot later where I thought, oh, here here it is. Here it is. This is where we're going to lose him. Now, I'm going to say right now I'm glad they didn't kill anybody off because I don't think that would have fit the story. I don't want them to kill people off just to kill people off. If it right. makes sense for the story, then 
fine. Yeah, that's the guard. That's the that's the Walking Dead problem of just killing people off just for shock value. Yeah. Now I will say this: I think James Gunn was trolling the fuck out of everybody <laughs> because he teases every single Guardian's death in this movie, sometimes more than once. Obviously. Rocket is on life support for three quarters of the movie. Mm-hmm. Peter Quill freezes in the middle of space at one point. Drax gets shot. Nebula looks like she's piloting a ship to her doom. Like, and 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 when they're all standing on that ledge, the three of them are standing on that ledge in on the high evolutionary ship, and it's lifting off into uh-huh. space. They look like they're gonna die. Every single one of them snatched out of Death's jaws. Yeah. At the last second, because James Gunn knows people like you are going to this movie thinking someone's gonna die. And he's like, I am gonna fuck with everybody as much as I can. And you know what? I loved it. I loved it because by the end of it, you knew Peter Quill wasn't gonna die. No, I and I but knew like after... Rocket Raccoon wasn't gonna die. Oh, you I didn't mean... know that? He, come on, how no, could no, you no. have known that? I I didn't have a doubt in my mind that he was going to survive. Really? Like when I first got into the movie, and and Rocket gets shot, I'm like, oh, they're gonna kill him by the end, aren't they? Yeah, he's gonna die. That's why he's doing his morose thing at the beginning. He's so sad. I'm a creep. He's gonna he's gonna turn around he's gonna mm-hmm. sacrifice himself to save the guardians and then when when drax almost dies when groot gets beheaded i'm like okay wait a minute something's but, up here he's fucking with us yeah and that's when i settled in and was like nobody's gonna die yeah here. and i didn't think they were gonna kill drax they've already not drax groot they've already killed Groot. right they're not gonna kill gamora because right. I mean, I, my understanding is james gunn wasn't happy that they killed gamora in not one of his movies in the other right, uh, right. other movie I didn't think Nebula was going. How the hell would they kill her anyways? So I was really down to Drax, Mantis, and Peter. Peter. Yeah. And Mantis, I didn't think would be... I mean, Mantis, I like Mantis, but I don't know. You don't think she would be as powerful I don't think she would be as powerful as Peter or Drax. So those were were the two that I thought might be going. (laughs) But once we started getting into it, and once we got past that second fake out with Drax, I was like, "No, we're not. We're not going to lose anyone." Yeah, yeah, yep. I mean, they, they, yeah, they really, they really dug their heels in and tried to really mess with people. And you know, there are people out there that are like, "So and so is going to die. So and so is going to die. So and so is going to die." And like, they're having like a hyperventilation fit in the theater because they thought, you know, eight people yeah. from the Guardians are going to die or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, come on. Yeah, he's, he, God, like, just masterfully fucking with everyone. And I loved every second of it. Every second. Because I got pissed. And I was like, that's perfect. That's why he did it. He wanted to piss people off. It's hysterical. It made me laugh a lot. Like, there are, like, there are parts in that movie where, like, people are in peril. And I'm like, you bastard. You dirty, dirty bastard. Why? <laughs> All right, so the modifications have like a code on them and they know where they can find it, where they can find the origin of it. It's in a place called Orgocorp, which is where the high evolutionary performed the experiments on Rocket. 
Is that where? He, yeah. Is that where he did it? I yep. thought it was on that little ship thingy they have that they're. Yes, but by. originally that ship was at Orgo. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. So they leave Kraglin and Cosmo, the Soviet space dog, to guard nowhere, and Peter takes the rest of the Guardians to uh, to Orgocorp to save Rocket's life. And while they travel, we get a, one of, like, many flashbacks. I didn't go into all the flashbacks here in yeah. my thing. I'm just going to touch on the ones that mean something. We learn that Rocket was not the only creature that the High Evolutionary experimented on. We get to meet Lila and Tiefs and Floor. And Rocket and the three of them, or excuse me, and they befriend Rocket when he's very, very young. They, you know, they kind of help him understand what's going on. They kind of calm him a little bit. They said back in the first Guardians yeah. that the no- that Nova Corp guy mentions that, you know, Rocket was created by this guy that was doing illegal experiments on animals and blah 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 so obviously people in this universe know about this guy of but course yet they do. nobody does anything gamora about knows about him even even mantis knows about but him. nobody does anything like they don't care that this guy is doing this to people and animals they just let not. him do it because they not. they don't give a shit i mean unless he's doing the stuff in secret but every how is how is it that it's secret if everybody knows about it? Maybe he got in trouble a while ago and he's been kind of quiet ever since. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Somebody it's should a good have point. done something a long time ago about it. Also, yeah. Rocket's first word of hurts is heartbreaking. That just is so sad. His first word is hurts. Yeah. That's the first word we hear out of the baby ra- raccoon. Baby raccoon. Yeah. So Adam returns to the high evolutionary and we find out why the evolutionary wants Rocket so bad. It's because Rocket holds the key to quickly evolving creatures that will populate the high evolutionary's new world that he's created called Counter Earth, which is kind of a Shangri La. I think this is I think this is a lie though, because I think he wants him. Not well. I think he does want him to study his brain, but I also yeah. think it's a revenge thing. I mean, for what Rocket did to him. But he never mentions that he until never, the face gets taken off. Yeah, at the he end. never mentions it. But I don't I've, think that's it. You don't think I, so? No, I think that this is a guy. Look at the way he reacts to people when they have doubt in anything that he has to do. He is a complete and utter narcissist. And oh, yeah. He has to know everything. He's and obsessed he has with to perfection. Be, he's obsessed with perfection. So he knows that Rocket's brain, like whatever mutation he created that created Rocket's brain, he even says it to Rocket. He's like, you stand here because of me. I created you. Mm-hmm. You are not unique. You are my product. I made you. He wants all the credit. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care who he has to kill to get it. Yeah. So I don't think it has to do with revenge. I don't think he gives a shit about his face. He can make whatever he needs to make to create a new face. He does. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's revenge at all. I, he just I seems think so obsessed with him, though. Like, even his, at, by the end of this, even his his faithful people that work mm-hmm. for him are like, what is this? We need to move on. We can move on without this. And th- he's just obsessed with mm-hmm. Rocket. I think the concept that something that he created can grow beyond something that he intended for it is outside 
of something that he's willing to accept. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. he is not willing to accept that. And so there must be a reason for it. There has to be an explanation. Mm -hmm. And the explanation only resides in Rocket's brain. So that's why he wants him. He wants to know what it is. What did he do wrong that allowed this creature that he was supposed to have such control over mm -hmm. to evolve beyond what yeah. he had mm -hmm. intended for it? Right. You know what I mean? Right, because I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think his intention was ever for Rocket to be yeah. so, as as smart as he is. If it is revenge, I think it's revenge based in that less than revenge based in what Rocket did to his face. I don't think he gives two shits about what mm. Rocket did to his face until it's revealed. Yeah, at the end. You know he, what I mean? Yeah, at the end, he's does. like, "See, yeah, this is what you do. This yeah. is not what I do." Yeah, you know, like he's like, "See, even though you are smarter." Mm -hmm. than I intended you to be. You're still an animal. Look what you did to me. Yeah. You know? I guess I was kind of thinking it was more like he was on this reve revenge quest, but not really thinking that's what it was. I feel like deep down he just wanted to take care of this creature, mm. even though he had another reason that he was telling everybody and himself. Mm. You know, I don't well, know. Maybe, maybe. So the Guardians arrive at Orgocorp's headquarters, where they are assisted by Gamora from the past, who is now part of the Ravagers. Together, they impersonate Orgocorp workers and infiltrate the company to get the passkey for Rocket's enhancements. So they evade detection from the Orgo sentries led by Master Karja. You want to talk about him since it's your TV boyfriend? Played by Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion. Who has now been in all three. He was a voice in the first one. He was a picture in the background in the second one. And now he's actually in the third one. He was a picture in the background yeah. of Guardians yeah. 2? Yeah. How weird. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. To me, he's always going to be that dude in Buffy. You know, he's always going to be the bad guy in the Oh, he was Buffy. in Buffy? Yeah, season seven. He was one of the bad guys. Oh. He was like the bad guy at the end, right? Uh. He was the... I don't remember. Uh, anyway. <laughs> he's Castle. He's baloney. Castle, my asshole. And he's asshole. in Firefly. Yeah. Well, because he was a Joss Whedon player before he turns out Joss Whedon is a misogynist. But anyway, yeah. moving on. The Guardians split up to find this passkey, and Drax and Mantis end up getting recognized as wanted people by the Orgocorp security team, while Peter and Gamora take a hostage after getting the file that they're after. And then they fight their way off the Orgosphere and flee in their ship. Do you want to talk a little bit about this thing, this Orgosphere place? Because I'm going to be honest with you, that thing was gross. Yeah, it was. It looked really gross. <laughs> Everything was like all fleshy and had hair growing out of it. And like when they were looking at like cameras, they were like eyes and shit. It like... It creeped me out. It was gross. Like, in a not, not in a good way, you know? This is weird shit, you know? Also, the record system that they have. How unwieldy is that? Yeah. This is supposed to be high-tech? It's literally, like, little compartments that open up and roll a fucking ball out of it. Yeah. How is that high-tech? I, I don't know. Well, and all their controls are the same, and you just stick your hand in some yellow goo or something. Right, I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. We have a few character moments here with Quill confessing to Gamora about... Oh, not really confessing, but just asking... I mean, this is shit that we already knew. Yeah, 
but we're we're seeing it here you know him again. him what do you mean again wait he come on we, he ha- this is we all he's been talking him. about yes but he's actually confronting gamora at this point you know and Man. and this is the new gamora of course they make it lighter with some comedy in there with the whole line thing and then inside we have a funny moment with gamora telling quill that you know that doesn't sound my, like me. That sounds more like her. And, and he's point. She's pointing at Nebula. Yeah. And so then he looks at Nebula, and then there's this whole black eyes. Oh, I've never noticed your eyes before. <laughs> you know, I thought it was funny stuff. It was like little funny interactions here that I enjoyed. So I was I was enjoying those moments. Yes, the complex itself was creepy and gross, and the dude the. The security guys' costumes were really bizarre. I don't know what the hell those were supposed to be. Well, they were supposed to be tardigrades. They're like a little like microscopic bug thing is what they looked like to me anyway. Eh, so. I don't know. They were kind of weird. but. Mm. And then this is also where we almost see Drax die again. Again. At, at this point, this is when he gets up and walks off that I figured, okay, he's not dying <laughs> in this movie. So. Wait a minute. They're not going to kill anybody. Right, right. Yeah. So, when they access the file that they stole, they find all the horrible things that the High Evolutionary did to Rocket. And it goes so far as to be slightly campy for me because Nebula's like, this is worse than what Thanos did to me. And it's like, we get it, dude. We already get it. It was nasty when he was doing it before, but we don't need her saying that. You I think they I mean? were like, trying to point out because Rocket's never told them about his no. history. And I think it's just us seeing their reactions to what Rocket went through. Yeah. I know. But I, I, I don't think it's campy at all. I, 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 I feel like it was it was a legitimate comment. I mean, you've got a group of people who really care about Rocket seeing what happened to him. Of course, they're going to have some kind of comments that they're going to say. So the passkey is missing, though, when they're digging around in there. But Groot somehow surmises that it had to have been downloaded into the computer that was on the head of one of the High Evolutionary's acolytes. And I don't understand how they made that logical leap. Do you? I understood it when we were watching. Now I'm trying to remember how it happened. (laughs) Well, they say it was removed. It was removed. Yeah. Do they make mention of, like, it's supposed to still be on the station or something? No, they, they, they saw that it was removed that day right before they got there. Oh, yeah. And then Peter Um, says, oh, I saw this dude outside of the records department. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I mean, it was Groot that surmised that, but. No, Groot says he thinks it could be in the guy's computer. Yeah, after, okay, after Peter says yeah. he saw the guy. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so they head out to go and find this guy, his name's Thiel, and get the passkey. But Gamora, she's pissed off that she's got a, she's being forced to stick with the Guardians. Mm-hmm. They're not going to stop to drop her off. So she radios the Ravagers to come pick her up, but the signal gets inter- intercepted by Aisha, and uh, she uses that information to figure out where they're headed, which is Counter-Earth. That's where High Evolutionary is now. While the Guardians are traveling to Counter-Earth, we get another flashback 
showing that Rocket had helped the high evolutionary perfect his quick evolution process. But the evolutionary sees Rocket as only a means to an end. Rocket and his friends are not going to get to go to Counter-Earth. They are the experiments. They're not the finished product. So he's going to have them incinerated and the new species will go and get released onto Counter-Earth. Armed with this information, Rocket attempts a breakout for him and Lila and Toofs and Floor, but the other three end up killed in the process. Rocket ends up clawing the High Evolutionary's face to shreds in completely, he's completely despaired at this point, and he ends up shooting his way out of the cage cells. And then Lila became Linda Barton, Hawkeye's wife. <laughs> same actor. Yep, same actor. Anyway. Yep. Yeah, so when, when Lila died, she possessed Linda Barton. I don't know. Timeline wise, where really does this fall? Why well, how that happens. I don't but, think yeah. it is either. I was making a goof. <laughs> where does this fall timeline wise? Because when we get to Counter Earth, Counter Earth is thriving. Rocket is not yet fully grown in this flashback, this particular flashback. He seems like he's maybe an adolescent. How old do you suppose Rocket is now? And how long ago in the past do you think this happened? Oh, I have no idea. Do you think any of the people on Counter-Earth were affected by the blip? Yes. Do you think the High Evolutionary noticed he would have had to have. Why would he have not gone after Thanos for fucking with his stuff? Thanos would have killed him. He doesn't know that. Besides the fact that, well, he's pretty powerful himself. How would he have known himself. that Thanos did it? He's the high evolutionary. Yeah, but how would he have known it was Thanos? He could have... They figure out all kinds of stuff in this movie <laughs> that's way more secret than who did the snapping. I don't know. No Especially idea. if he's monitoring Earth to create counter-Earth, so much so that he makes a new Statue of Liberty with himself as the torch holder. He knows Earth. He's been to Earth. Mm -hmm. He would know if there was a huge fucking war there where some dude snapped his fingers and winked out half of the universe. Yeah, but he could have been to Earth like way before even the first Avengers movie started. I mean, he could have been there... 40 years ago saw it and never been back and so stepped foot there. So you think he's there. never monitoring any of that stuff. My point he here is that he might not have time. He's so busy experimenting on all these animals and creatures and building new worlds and stuff. I, who says and he's gone back? as self-consumed as he is, you don't think that he would go after whomever fucked with his stuff. I don't know. I don't know why he, why we didn't see the High Evolutionary come after Thanos. Well, maybe by the time he figured out that it was Thanos, the Avengers had taken care of him. Maybe. Thor had cut his head off. Maybe. Maybe. So back in the present, the Guardians arrive on Counter-Earth to find it populated with the anthropomorphic animals that we were speaking of before. They speak a weird language, and they live in neighborhoods that look just like Earth. They look like our neighborhood. and They kind of look like Earth in the 80s. Like the picture. Yeah, like when all of these houses were built. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So the a little bit of a misunderstanding turns the natives against the a guardians. A little bit of a misunderstanding. Yeah. So <laughs> you tell them what the misunderstanding is. So 
Drax, being the wonderful father he is, throws, like, whips a rubber ball, Billy Madison style, at a little child and yeah, just smokes her the face. kid in the face. Yeah. I laughed. Everybody laughed. <laughs> like oh my god it was funny <laughs> what do you want that was funny i don't care kid takes a rubber ball to the face that shit's funny i mean look call me a kid hater whatever but that i like shit's the funny. sound effects they they matched that sound of the rubber ball banging off somebody's skin very well oh yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i've been there right we've all been there we've all been taking there. a rubber ball to the face yes. <laughs> uh. Why yeah. did we play this in gym class again? It's fun, man. <laughs> Pegging somebody in the face with a rubber ball. How much more fun can you possibly have in gym class? Not much. Maybe if you hit him in the groin, that's pretty funny too. I guess gotta... I wasn't trying to hit people in the face. In no, the groin, dude, I guess. you got to aim higher. You aim low. You don't go midsection. You don't try for arms. If you, if you try for arms, that's a small target. That's a small target. You go, you go chest abs down abs down to like mid thigh that's your that's your target zone right there and if you can nail it right in the middle bam balls to the ball or ball to the balls anyway yeah <laughs> i'm not a competitive person even so that's i like but but i'm a person that likes funny stuff and somebody getting hit in the balls even myself pretty damn funny so i'm not saying i'm going to go around taking like smacks to the balls anytime soon, but you know if it happens, it's some you know it can be funny in certain situations. I don't even know why I'm talking about my ball so much, but here we are. <sighs> Peter manages to calm things down, and he befriends one of the women that that are there, and she helps the guardians find the high evolutionary's headquarters. Which, honestly, did he need her help to figure out that the giant purple? pyramid the only thing that doesn't fit this 80s landscape was the high evolutionary headquarters this this is supposed to be exactly like earth right right what are the odds that he's going to land oh wait they had a beacon on the dude somehow i was gonna say what are the odds that he even lands (laughs) anywhere near where you would see that thing and if you did land close enough to see that thing why aren't you landing at the thing. At the thing. Well, then they'd see them, but maybe get a little closer Unless so that way you just then, go right? there. Yeah. Although we wouldn't have gotten the whole car interaction. I love that Peter Quill can't drive a car. I mean, he was kidnapped when he was eight. So that makes sense that he would struggle with the car. But at the same time, he drives all of these. Well, not drives. He flies all these ships. You would think he could have some intuitive skills there to put over to driving a car but i did find it funny i liked it that was one of the things that i found a little too goofy for my taste <laughs> i thought it was funny yeah this is also where we got our first f-bomb in the mcu the official mcu oh boy um, all the people that the hate disney can rejoice somebody F-bomb. said the word fuck oh boy <laughs> like who cares it's just a word that's the thing i know but it's been like big talk everywhere that you know they got an f-bomb in this pg-13 movie you can say fucking pg-13 you movie can, but one they, time but they have been very careful not to because say they're it disney in they're all disney. these movies there's also the slack-jawed yokels who believe that it's not a good movie unless it's r-rated and has the word fuck everywhere and blood and guts all over the place. But then nothing could be further from the truth. There's plenty of good movies that are PG-13. If you're just there to see someone say the word fuck 
and cut somebody else's head off. You're there for the bread and circuses of it all. You're not there for any real story. You're not there for any real gratification. You just want to see something cool. Yeah. I, I do think it was... I thought it was a good spot to have it. It made sense. He's very frustrated. He just said, open the fucking door. I thought it was great. I, I thought it was I, I thought it was good. It was fine. I didn't have a problem with it. I barely noticed it. Well I barely noticed it because it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's like it makes me think of that episode of South Park where everybody was freaking out because they were gonna say shit on TV. And then they count their swear words. And then they counted the swear <laughs> words on the episode of South Park where they were like, Man, I can say shit anytime I want. Shit. And like they're just counting it off. It's like who who cares? It's just a word. It is just a word. It's just a word. It blew right past me, and I didn't care. The what I did care about was it was goofy as hell that he couldn't figure out how did he know that she was pressing on the door lock. He can't see that from his vantage point. There's no way he could see that from his vantage point. No, there isn't. But that's what I cared about. You had about. to get that over so he gets <laughs> she gets to the right button. Yep. Right, and he can say fuck apparently to make yep. everybody go woo. Which, you know, whatever. <laughs> All right. So Peter, Nebula, and Groot go to the HQ in the aforementioned car after Nebula opens the fucking door to get the pass key from Thiel while Drax and Mantis and Gamora are going to stay behind. But Drax tricks Mantis into abandoning the ship, leaving Gamora to guard Rocket when Warpig, who is an enhanced hog warrior... <laughs> created by the High Evolutionary, arrives to take the Folian Guardian back to the Evolutionary. So she has this big fight with the War Pig. Adam Warlock shows up. Peter and Groot, meanwhile, encounter the High Evolutionary. They fight their way out of the Evolutionary's headquarter, grabbing Thiel in the process and jumping out of the building. <laughs> they murdered that dude! Yeah. They literally murdered that dude. Yep. Like with their bare hands. They did. Later, Groot's going to say killing the High Evolutionary isn't the way of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Which is it? Well, that guy apparently didn't deserve a second chance. <laughs> uh, also, I just wanted to point out real quick because you didn't say anything about this. Yeah. Sorry. But Warpig is voiced by Judy Greer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I didn't... so yeah. she is also in. MCU already. She is the ex-wife of Ant-Man. She. Oh yeah, she is. Yeah. yeah see, I forget all this crap because <laughs> not not memorable. Anyway, yeah, she is. You're right. She is. She plays everybody's ex-wife. What's up with that? <laughs> I don't know. She seems like a perfectly lovely lovely person. <laughs> she does, doesn't she? I <laughs> yeah. like I like Judy Greer. I think she's yeah. funny. I think she's a good actor. Why is she always everybody's ex-wife? <laughs> Judy Greer, everybody's ex-wife. That's what it says on her resume. I guarantee it. So, after they murder Thiel, they pry the, the computer off the side of his head and they take it onto the ship and they save Rocket. But while this was all going on, Drax, Mantis, and Nebula actually infiltrated the High Evolutionary ship, which is now lifting off to space. So they flip-flopped. Mm-hmm. Which causes some comedy because they're like, I thought you were on the ship. No, I escaped. You should know I would escape. Now they're stuck on the ship and they've got to figure out a way to get to them. So before they actually save Rocket, yeah. we we see this moment where the 
data isn't uploading fast enough and Rocket dies or he's flatlined. Right. I thought Chris Pratt did a great job with his acting there. I felt his grief. I felt his emotion. It was very sad. I mean, he was losing a friend and you could see it in his face and in his acting. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, I think he did too. I think this is the worst fake out of all of them. Oh, it is. Because you know, he says in his dream state, he's going quote unquote into the light and Lila's there and she's like, and she's like, I can fly with my friends. And he's like, can I come? And she's like, yes. And then like, you get like a minute in between yes and, but not yet. Yeah. So like, what? Like it wasn't, it wasn't that long, but there was a, it for there a little a bit stretch. too long, but I just wanted to talk about the the characters there. And then when Nebula finds mm-hmm. out that Rocket's alive, she yeah. has a wonderful reaction too. And if you think about it, when the blip happened, Nebula and Rocket were the only two left. And so my guess is those two kind of bonded and have a close relationship because they were the only two left for those five years. Weren't they um, on the ship with Stark? Rocket wasn't. Nebula was. Where was Rocket? Rocket was on the Earth because he came back with oh, Thor. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was on Earth. With, yeah, that's right. That's right. Nebula was on the ship with... Yep, that's right. Yep. And, and, so, and there was that period when during Endgame where they were out exploring, mm-hmm. looking for stuff, and everybody else was back on Earth. Yeah, there was that time where they had that meeting and Rocket and... The Rocket first time I watched this, I was like, oh, that's interesting that she had such a strong reaction and I started thinking that you know it might be because she lost Gamora and that you know this was somebody else but then I was like you know they were together for that time I'm guessing that's what her reaction is from how long was it between the blip and when Stark brought everybody back do we know how long that was I thought it was five years was it a five-year period yeah I thought that's what so, they set up in the Spider-Man Homecoming. I thought that's right. What that's right. It was a five-year jump mm-hmm. into the future. So five years is how long. I keep wanting to say Namora, but that's not her name. <laughs> You're mixing Namora <laughs> is somebody else. <laughs> Nebula and Rocket were like it for the mm-hmm. Guardians because mm-hmm. Groot was gone, Drax was gone. They Peter lost. Was gone. They lost a good chunk There's of their way group. more than half of the Guardians. Well, it's it's half of the it's half of the universe. population of the universe, right. not half of each group. <laughs> right, sucks because you know I yeah. feel like some of them got shafted. You know, yeah, they did. Yeah. Also, I'm surprised Mantis doesn't end up with a broken neck in this movie. She lands on her head like two or three times <laughs> yeah. in this thing. Yeah, she definitely doesn't have that superhero landing. The only one that whose neck does get broken is Nebula, but Nebula. she can bring it right back. Yeah, doesn't matter. They bring Rocket back just in time to devise a plan to rescue Nebula, Drax, and Mantis from the fleeing ship. So Kraglin and the Ravagers that are on Nowhere end up showing up with Nowhere to attack the evolutionary ship, which retaliates by sending these Hellspawn things, mm-hmm. which are kind of ill-defined monsters that are going to attack Something else, the Nowhere. Some creature that the evolutionary yeah, made, yeah. And they fight them back. They end up using Cosmos Telekinesis to make a bridge between the evolutionary ship and nowhere so that they can rescue all these creatures, these children and raccoons and camels and everything that were on 
the evolutionary ship. They go back because Rocket is nowhere to be found. This is again where you get the whole fake out, like, oh, they saved him just so he can die, right? Oh, you I thought he was going to die. Like, because they do that with, look, they, they, they give you that moment where it's like, oh, Rocket. You're worried about Rocket again. And then later, like right after that, you're going to be like, oh, Peter Quill. Yeah. Like, <laughs> fucking James Gunn, you bastard. <laughs> that was great. Excuse me. So they go back to find Rocket and they find that the evolutionary has cornered their friend. And the team helps Rocket beat up the evolutionary. And this is where his face comes off. Actually, uh, Gamora peels it off of him. And you get to see what happened to him when Rocket attacked him and clawed his face up. And uh, I don't know. I mean, that that to me, it's like, okay, that's gross and yeah, cool. Gross. But it like, it reminded me of the, was it the Red Skull? The Red Skull? Something? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. I really hope this isn't the last we see of the High Evolutionary. Because they left it. Yeah, so Rocket that said way... he wasn't going to kill him. Yeah. But they did leave him on the ship, which was just, which was blowing up. So they've, they've left it that it could go either, either way. Yeah. Way. yeah. Could go either way. I really don't want them to get rid of him right away. They have this problem. I've heard about this on other podcasts. They've talked about this. They kill off all their good villains. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a good villain with a really good performance. Mm-hmm. W- don't kill him off. Let him stick around. Especially yeah. because we're having this Jonathan Majors problem I was going right to say, especially because this King issue is up in the air right now with what's yeah. going to happen there. This guy was great. Evolutionary could be could be fantastic. He yeah. could be an in for like the X-Men. He could be in for all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the Evolutionary. Yeah, because he, in... he could have gotten up and gotten into a ship and Could have crawled his way yeah. to a ship and, and gotten out. You're absolutely yeah. right. Mm-hmm. I really like the Evolutionary in this. And... I never really liked the High Evolutionary in the comics that much, but mm-hmm. what they did with him here was really, really the good. The actor was fantastic. He really was. He he delivers one line where he says, what does he say? There is no God. That's why I stepped in. Yeah. And there's another one where he says, where somebody says, but to him or something like that. Was it but? I think so. And he's, I, I'm, I'll bet you on the page, it just says, but, but, but. I hate that word or that, there's that, there's that. There's that incessant word or something like that. But the way he delivers this, it's like, I didn't mean to say the wrong word, you know? Like, oh, like yeah, it, he was you, great. you're just taken aback by the power of his delivery with that. Yeah, he did a really, really good job. But, but like I said, but, there's that word again. <laughs> Rocket, again, refuses to kill him because it is not the Guardian's way. For this moment. For, yeah, at this point, <laughs> when it comes to his minions, it's okay to scrape him across the earth to murder him so that you can pry a piece of metal out of his head. So, it's all relative, right? It just depends on the time. It depends on the moment. It's a very very biblical thing. It's very contextual. After they've defeated the High Evolutionary and they've escaped back on nowhere, the Guardians kind of disband. They do. Yeah, so Peter is going to go back to Earth to check on his grandfather. This was a running theme throughout the movie that I felt like they really just kind of jammed in there so that they have an out for Peter at this point. Mm-hmm. But but it works. He's going to go and check on his grandfather. Interesting side note about his grandfather. His grandfather's name is Jason, right? Peter Quill's father in the Marvel Comics name is Jason. J-apostrophe-S-O-N-N. Jason. Mm-hmm. That's his dad. He is a, an alien 
in the comics as well. He's not Ego, though. Mm. His dad's name is Jason. And this, his grandfather's name is Jason. I thought that was cool. I thought that was a neat little, little nod. Mantis is going to go off on her own to find herself because she's always been doing what Ego wanted or what the Guardians wanted. But now she gets to take her new Abelisk friends. She's got three Abelisks that she tamed mm -hmm. in the breakout from the evolutionary ship. And, uh, and she's going to go wander the universe, I guess. And of course, Gamora is going to return with, with, to the regular Ravagers. But you can tell that she's definitely changed by her experience. They have a little interaction. Peter tells her, you know, she says, I'm not that Gamora. And he's like, I know. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. We get a little bit of resolution for Peter and for Gamora mm -hmm. in that way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Nebula and Drax are going to take care of the kids that are orphaned by the evolutionary because it turns out Drax is actually a really good dad. While Rocket and Groot are going to form a new team of Guardians, which will include Kraglin, Cosmo, Adam Warlock, and his pet Blurp, which we didn't really talk about. And one of the orphans from the evolutionary's ship called Phyla. And that's that. That's where we leave it. The new Guardians are off to take care of whatever it is they're going to take care of, and uh, everybody else is off on their own thing. We do get an end credit scene at the end of the credits where we get to see Peter having breakfast with his grandfather, and they're talking about his stepbrother, his mm -hmm. uh, dad's stepson or whatever. Yeah. So While they're at the table, his mm -hmm. grandfather's reading the newspaper, and there's an article in the newspaper about Kevin Bacon being abducted. <laughs> I didn't catch that. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't catch that. That's great. That's great. What a great, what a great little callback there. And you didn't mention, and and I just want to bring this up. Mm -hmm. Groot, towards the end, when they're all standing in the circle talking about what they're going to do, Groot says, "I love you guys." Oh yeah. And there's yeah. a little confusion, I think, because he only says, "I am Groot." Right. But this is James Gunn confirmed in a tweet. That what that represents is we are now in Groot's world and we understand what he's saying. We, so he, the audience, are we the audience. family so to the Guardian. So he actually says, or in, what he's supposed to be saying is, I am Groot, but we're understanding what he's saying now. Which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It's a little easy to misinterpret, but... It is. It's cool. It's a cool, it's a cool move. I like it. One of the other things that I didn't talk about is there's this hallway fight scene with all of the guardians i loved it that was fucking bonkers and absolutely one of the most enjoyable things i've seen in a marvel movie in probably five it years it was so good it was amazing it's set to no sleep till brooklyn which you're gonna get me already i love the beastie boys so right go figure old white guy likes the beastie boys <laughs> who knew but the the setting it to no sleep till brooklyn is amazing. You get classic poses by some of these characters, like the classic Star Lord offset, you know, guns like stretched out. Mm -hmm. You get the you get the rocket flying and you know aiming with his legs kind of kicked out pose, like stuff that you'll see on covers if you flip through all the covers in the Guardians comics, the mm -hmm. more recent Guardians comics. You get to see them in this 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 fight scene plus you get to see everybody use their skills mm -hmm. like the way that they fight Drax is great he stomps one dude knifes another dude like just really fulfilling like really cool 
hallway fight scene and it brings to mind like there's a fight scene in a in a in a movie called Old Boy that I just absolutely love that it's it's just a neat and unique not unique but a neat and interesting way to show this battle in a condensed way you don't have people sprawled out all over the place and you have to check in with them they're all pretty much in frame almost the entire time it's really really cool really really cool yeah how about do you have any other notes yeah, I, have... I got a couple things. Okay, cool. This film sets the record for the most makeup appliances used in a single film, having more than 23,000 prosthetics used across more than 1,000 actors. Wow. That's cool. That's cool because it means that not a lot of it was CGI when it comes to, like, the physical part of, like, the actors, you know? Right. Yep. Well, I mean, obviously Groot, but, you know. Right. Well, uh, yeah. you In Rocket. Yeah, because you're not really going to find a talking tree out there. Right, but, yeah. right, yeah. right. All right, James Gunn based the high evolutionary and his counter-Earth on H.G. Wells' dark sci-fi tale, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Interesting. I could see that. Sure, that's cool. That's cool. When the written and directed by James Gunn comes up at the beginning of the movie, the lights switch out in Quill's bedroom, which is a way of showing James Gunn putting his Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy of films to bed. Okay. Nice little thing there. Um, and then I was just going to talk about Nebula has a new arm. She has a nanotech arm. Yeah, from Rocket. And she got this from Rocket as a way of saying thank you because in the holiday special, Ro- Rocket gets Bucky's arm yeah. from Nebula. Yeah, okay. So somehow Nebula gets Bucky's <laughs> arm. Yeah. Which which Rocket wanted in Endgame in, a, in Infinity War. Infinity War, yeah. he wanted that, and yeah. Bucky's like, no. <laughs> how how did she, did get, she get Bucky's arm? Because he's know. not dead. No, <laughs> but I could see her just going and yanking it yeah. off him and then taking off. I I I really appreciated that in the holiday special. Honestly, that was one of the things that made me laugh. <laughs> he the was most. so excited. He was like, oh, <gasps> Bucky's arm. <laughs> That was great. It's a great way to tie that back to, you know, something that was like a cute, little, funny little comment, mm-hmm. like offhanded comment in the middle of that big battle. Right. I right. need that guy's arm. <laughs> All right. And that's everything I have for notes. Okay. I, have a, I have a couple of things. First of all, I want to note that they flipped it for this movie. Now, Rocket, we already talked about, isn't from Earth. In this universe, MCU, he is from Earth. He, you, you get to see he is a raccoon. He does have this moment, too, where he's like, my name is Rocket. Rocket Raccoon. Mm-hmm. Because he's accepting who he is now. Which is kind of cool. Nice little character moment. But we do see the sign above the cage of the baby raccoons that he rescues that says where it's from. It's from Earth. And it says Species Raccoon. So Rocket is from Earth in the MCU. In the comics, he is from a place called Halfworld. Now, in the comics, High Evolutionary is a Brit. He's a dude from England. He's a pasty old white dude who wants to create an evolutionary jump for humanity, for, for, for Earth in general. In this universe, he is not from Earth, but he has visited Earth. So I thought that that was cool that they flipped that a little bit rather than keeping them both from Earth or making them both from a different planet. I, I liked that they flipped that. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted oh, I had one other note. Yeah, yeah. I just I just came across it. At the very end, they are playing Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machines. 
I love that song. It's such a great song. I don't even know that song. And there is a cute video of, I think it's her grandkid, one of her grandkids, is videotaping Florence Welch, who is the lead singer for this group, Mm. her reaction to seeing the song on TV. And she's very emotional seeing her song. Did she not know they were going to use it? No, I think that obviously she would have known because I think you have to give permission. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, how would she know? But I think it was just. She was excited, oh, you know. Okay. I, I think gotcha. it was an exciting thing for sure, her. Sure, sure. I mean, it's, it makes sense. You know. If you have social media of any kind, I'm sure you've seen it. It's it's out there. It is a cute little video. All right, very good. All right, no other notes then. Yes, I'm good. I am also good. Let's do our thing. Keep rent or erase Jennifer, and why? This is a keep for me. I love this movie. I I think the Guardians of the Galaxy of all the like the little side stories in in this MCU is my favorite. I I really liked the first one. I thought the second one was good. I think this is better than the second one was. I really enjoyed it a lot. I love these characters. James Gunn is a good storyteller. I think he's a good director because he's, you know, put some good stuff on the, the screen for us. They've got great soundtracks. I mean, we haven't even talked really about the music on oh, yeah. these, but... You know, I don't love all the songs in them, but they fit well, other than what we talked about at the beginning of this one with Creep seeming a little weird. But, yeah. you know, it it's enjoyable movie. I'm going to miss seeing these characters together. I, I, I'm okay with where they ended it. I think it ended on a fine spot. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And they've left them all where if... They need to be picked up in other movies. They can be picked up in other movies. So we mm-hmm. may see these characters again, but we won't see them together with James Gunn again. This this was it for that. But I really enjoy this. So I'm going to keep it. Okay. How about you? I am also going to keep it, honestly. I was pleasantly surprised by this. I love the trolling by James Gunn. I love the casting. There are some moments in here that I'm like, this seems a little overboard. But I think that's one of those things that I learned about James Gunn as a director is that he is very, very good at what he does. But sometimes, every once in a while, he goes a little overboard. But you can forgive it, you know, because the rest of the story, just like in this one, is just really, really well put together and really well acted. He's He chose a fantastic cast. He chose He, he chose great story beats what he did with the high evolutionary taking a character that I found to be boring and kind of dumb and just turning him into this juggernaut of a character makes me want more of him. And I've never in my life wanted more high evolutionary stories ever. There was a, there was a storyline in the comics annuals back in, I want to say it was 1989. It was called the evolutionary war. And I read there were probably, I think there were like 16 or 18 annuals that, that crossed this story over. The main story was in the main story of the annual. And I was bored to tears. To tears. I could care less about the High Evolutionary in the comic, but give me more of the High Evolutionary in the MCU. This is the kind of shit that I want to see. More of this. I, too, think James Gunn is fantastic. I really, really, really am looking forward to what he has planned for DC because I think we've been robbed so far of anything really good in DC. The Flash movie looks promising, but I'm I'm kind of sketchy about it because I'm, 
I'm not sure about Ezra Miller and their psychotic psychoses and, and whether or not I can, tr- that can transcend, like the film can transcend that. But that being said, that's the end of the DC extended universe that and blue beetle. And then from there on, we're going to get James Gunn's version of the DC universe. And I'm so looking forward to it. It looks just the stuff that he's got on, on, on his plate already, the authority, the new Superman movie, a new Batman movie called brave and the bold for that to me that like just has me very excited about it. So we are losing him in the MCU, but we are gaining him in the DC universe. Couldn't be happier as a comic book fan in general. So definitely a keep. All right. So what are we doing next then? How are we going to follow this up? Because this, this was a good movie. This was a high note for me. And I'm very excited because Marvel movies, I've been so down on them lately, but I had (laughs) such a good time with this movie. All right. Next week, we are going to cover... Hypnotic. It is a Robert Rodriguez movie. Ooh, Robert Rodriguez. I like that guy. He what did he direct it and write it? He he was co-writer and he directed this. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. I like I like Robert Rodriguez. El Mariachi and Desperado, two of my favorite like indie movies from the mid-90s. Just loved those movies. It, El Mariachi, the fantastic thing about that is the dude wrote it while he was subjecting himself to medical testing to get money to make this movie on his own. If you read this dude's biography, it's called Rebel Without a Crew. It's amazing. He wrote it on index cards while he was in the hospital subjecting himself to medical stuff to make money to make it. Wow. Just phenomenal. El Mariachi is an amazing movie. You should watch it sometime if you have a chance. But but I, I followed his career with great interest until Sharkboy and Lava Girl, and then I kind of fell off. But I, I do like Robert Rodriguez as a director. So that should be interesting. I had no idea this was a Robert Rodriguez movie. So now I'm in. I'm in. All right. Right here on the couch next week then. Robert Rodriguez. Not in person because I would be geeking the fuck out. But, you it would know. It would be like the other time we met somebody, you were geeking out, and I'm like, hi, how are you? I don't who know who you are. Who did we meet that I was doing that to? Who was the guy we met down in Florida that one time? Oh, Ken Foray? Yeah. That dude, he's Peter from Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That know, dude's like a knew, horror icon. He knew that I didn't really know who <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, of course he, he did. totally he called me like, out on yeah, it. Yeah, okay, you can be in the picture too, I guess. But I'm over here like, oh my God, you're my hero. I love you. And I'm just like, hey, hi. <laughs> oh, hi, mister. We're going to give you money, I guess, to get your autograph, but whatever. <laughs> so Yeah, but no, this is, yeah, I would be geeking out more than that even if he was on our couch. Like if I met him in a thing, it would be different. But like, yeah. you know, if he was here, if he was here, it'd be different. But anyway, All right. next week. What is it called? Hypnotic? Hypnotic. Hypnotic. Right here on the couch. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.